Take your Bibles up with me and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke as we come to a very familiar story from the life of Christ our Savior, Jesus and the stilling of the storm. Our text this morning is Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. Luke 8, 22 through 25. Follow along there with me as I read. One day he, Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. Let us pray. Father God, we come before, Lord, you as our sovereign king. Grateful, Lord, for your love. Grateful, Lord, for the revelation of your word. You are a God who speaks. You are a God who has preserved your word. And so, Lord, as we are privileged again to open these pages and consider your truth, We pray again, Father God, that you would draw our hearts near, convict us of sin, lead us to confess. Lord, encourage us in our downheartedness as we rest in Jesus and set our gaze again upon him. Equip us to be a people, Lord, who who delight in proclaiming your excellencies with all whom we encounter. May your voice be what we hear now, O God, not mine. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Now, like many of you, we take special time in the evenings to build traditions in our children where, especially as we're laying them down to bed at night, that's always a good time to pray together, to have a spiritual discussions, if you will, to have time in God's Word. And I remember uh, when we still just had two children, a long time ago, I remember one night I was tucking Grace into bed. She was just three or four years old, and uh, we'd been having fun together. We'd been working on the catechism together, and, and as I was laying her down to bed, I wanted to just remind her that God was the one who was always watching over her. And so I said to her, I said, Grace, who loves you, sweetheart? And her reply was, Daddy loves me. And I said, Grace, who protects you? She said, my strongest daddy protects me. And I said, Grace, who protects you and daddy and the whole family? She said, Mommy does. <laughs> and I reminded her in that moment, yes, you know, Mommy serves our family well, but it's, it's God who ultimately protects us and loves us. And I taught her those things, and I continue to teach my children those things because I want them to have a deep and abiding confidence and faith in God. 
even as they grow to know who he is, I want them to know that God is not only the one who created them, he is the one who sustains them moment by moment. And that his glory is their life's purpose. I want them to know that Christ alone is our true refuge and strength, that he is our salvation and trust. And I want them to know these things so that when they reach adulthood and when they find themselves one day in the storms of life, that they will know in the midst of those storms who their sovereign Lord is. That in the midst of those storms, they will seek even then to rest in Him and to accomplish His glory. That they will be able to, to tell of a God who is great and who is trustworthy and tell others that He is a God who is faithful to protect His children according to His good purpose. Those are all things, brothers and sisters, that we see before us in this text this morning. This morning in Luke 8, we see Christ exalted in the eyes of his disciples through the stilling of the storm. But more personally, we see a critical lesson about having faith that overcomes fear. All of us struggle with fear at different times in our lives. We fear overwhelming circumstances that we may face in work or in finances. We fear our own death or the death of someone we love when we're faced with danger or disease. We fear in relationships as we are confronted with marriage and parenting problems and difficulties and betrayals. We fear ruin and lack of provision when circumstances turn against us and we go through something as difficult as losing a job. We live in a sinful world. And so these things are going to happen. Death and loss, difficulties and storms are an inescapable fact of life. But the question we must ask ourselves is, when we face those storms, will our faith be in the only true God who can see us through those storms? That's what we glean from this text this morning. So let's walk through these verses and let's consider my first point this morning, which is simply the suddenness of the storm. The suddenness of the storm. Look at with me at Luke 8, verse 22. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. Now we already know personally that many of these men that were with Jesus as his band of disciples were fishermen. And they knew the Sea of Galilee quite well. But on this particular day, their knowledge of the Sea of Galilee proved to be no match for the fury of this storm. The Sea of Galilee, it's a beautiful place. I've, I've been there. It's really just a large lake. It's about 13 miles long from north to south and about 8 miles wide. Jesus and his disciples would have been crossing from Capernaum, which is on the western side, over to the Decapolis, which was on the eastern side. And that journey would have normally taken about an hour or two, depending on how the winds were. Now, this Sea of Galilee sits at the bottom of a natural basin, which is 680 feet below sea level, right? So the Sea of Galilee is in one of these very low places on the earth, 680 feet below sea level. Meanwhile, there are mountain ranges to the northeast and northwest that are thousands of miles high. Mount Hermon to the north rises over 9,000 feet high. 
And therefore, when warm winds drift up through the Jordan Valley from southern Palestine and cold winds drop down from the steep mountain slopes to the north, that natural basin formed by the Sea of Galilee would often be filled with very fast, very intense storms. And that's exactly what happened on this night. One of these astonishing storms came up very rapidly without warning, and the sea began to churn violently. The storm was so ferocious that their boat was being covered with waves and filled with the water. And again, their boat, it, don't picture a little rowboat. I mean, we're talking about, you know, at least 13 men being in this. It would have been a common fishing vessel of that time probably in the neighborhood of 25 to 30 feet long, big enough to accommodate all of those men, plus a significant catch of fish. The parallel accounts in Matthew 8 and Mark 4 tell us that the waves were so large, however, that they were covering over even this boat, this 25, 30-foot vessel. Mark 4, 37 says, And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. So this is a horrendous storm that's going on. Where is Jesus? Well, Jesus was asleep in the stern of the boat. He was literally exhausted from teaching and healing and interacting with the crowds. He was always in demand. It was very hard for him to separate himself from people with needs and sufferings who constantly engulfed him. It was hard for him even to have a single uninterrupted meal because he was always in demand. And so we can imagine that when Jesus climbed into that boat and his disciples set off for that hour or two journey across the lake, we can picture him laying down and immediately falling asleep. He slept the sleep of a man who was utterly exhausted. Again, though Jesus was fully God, he was also fully man. You know, this is the doctrine of the hypostatic union. Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. And here we have a picture of omnipotent deity driven to deep sleep by his depleted humanity. Jesus was sleeping, and he was sleeping hard. But his rest in this moment was no consolation to the disciples. Again, we look at the parallel accounts, and we see them straining against the oars. We see them initially, in, in, in their knowledge as fishermen, trying to manage the boat through the course of the storm. But very quickly, it became evident that their lives, seemingly, were in danger. Brothers and sisters, have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place where you were just getting completely swamped? So much so that you felt like you couldn't even catch a breath. There was no relief. There's intense anxiety and, and worry over what your situation was. You truly, in the midst of that moment, felt as if your life were falling apart. That your life itself might even be in danger. Have you ever stopped to think in that moment? what God is doing? Has that thought ever occurred to you? You know, I've said many times from this pulpit, and I'll say it again here now, there, there is no panic button next to the throne of God, right? God is sovereign. There is not a circumstance 
beyond his control. There is nothing that takes place in all of creation, indeed in all of the universe, that is beyond the purview of our perfect God's reign and rule. And yet when we're in those storms, when we're feeling so crushed, so swamped, so overwhelmed, it's so hard for us to see that. It's so hard for us to remember that. But brothers and sisters, it doesn't mean it's not true. We can know in the midst of our life's worst circumstances, we can know, we can trust and believe that God is yet on his throne. That we are not absent of his presence. That he is with us and he will never forsake those who are his own. You know, over and over again, we see the psalmist wrestling with this very very issue. We see David and the other psalm writers coming to that place where they're challenged by the circumstances of life. They see injustice in the world. They are suffering at the hands of wicked men. They are crying out to God saying, why, Lord, why? And yet by his grace, they always come back to trusting in and resting in his good sovereignty. Psalm 27, verse 1 through 5, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For He will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me high upon the rock. That, brothers and sisters, expresses how we can trust in God because He is the one who holds us who has secured us in accordance with our trust in His Son. That takes us to my second point, the fear of the disciples. The fear of the disciples. Look at the second half of, or excuse me, the first half of verse 24. And they went and woke Him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Again, these rugged fishermen, upon experiencing the severity of the storm and the immensity of the waves, they finally came to Jesus and woke him up. We can, again, go back and see that they tried all that they could to press forward and make it through the storm. And as they were laboring at the oars, as they were trying to keep control of the boat, we can guess they were likely wondering how in the world Jesus could sleep through such a tempest, even if he were exhausted. You know, brothers and sisters, if we look back in Scripture, we can see that the disciples weren't the first ones to wonder why God was sleeping while his people were dying. Psalm 10.1, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Or Psalm 44, which is quoted in Romans 8. Psalm 44, verse 22, yet for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? The disciples, I'm sure, were thinking, feeling some of these same very things. Very same things. And so they spoke to Jesus, crying out, Master, Master, we are perishing. 
Literally, the Greek there means we are being destroyed. The storm was so severe that the disciples were in imminent fear of their total destruction. They believed they had been brought to the brink of death. They were overwhelmed, and now they were calling out to Jesus. And don't get me wrong. It's a good thing that they finally woke him and cried out to him. But it kind of makes you wonder some questions at this point, right? Why did they wait until the storm was at its worst and their destruction was imminent? Why did they turn first to their own strength and to their own expertise when the storm first began? What happened to their faith? I think the answer to that is pretty evident, isn't it? Their faith was overcome by their fear. By their fear. J.C. Ryle wrote very wisely, J.C. Ryle said, How many have faith and love enough to forsake all for Christ's sake and to follow Him wherever He goes, and yet they are full of fears in the hour of trial? How many have grace enough to turn to Jesus in every trouble, crying, Lord, save us, and yet not grace enough to lie still and believe in the darkest hour that all is well? You know, there was a different storm that the Gospels tell us about. A different storm where the disciples were in the boat without Jesus. And then once again, they found themselves in a great place of great peril. And Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And you remember Peter, how he responded, right? When, when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he wanted to come to him. So Jesus bid him to get out of the boat. To come to him. And, G and Peter, for his part, he got out of the boat. And for the first few steps, he was walking on the water to get to Jesus. But then he took his eyes off of Jesus. And he looked around at the peril of the storm. And he began to sink. And he had to cry out to Jesus, save me. Isn't this us, brothers and sisters? We start at a place where we think our faith is really strong. And, and indeed, we want to believe it is. We want to believe that when those storms of life come, we will be able to stand strong. And yet then we find ourselves suddenly in those circumstances and we get overwhelmed and we succumb to fear and our faith falters. And this is a critical, critical lesson for us, brothers and sisters. So critical. Hear this. Be reminded of this again, my precious brothers and sisters. It is not the strength of your faith that can ever save you. It is your Savior that saves you. Right? It's not about how, how we must muster up in ourselves enough faith if we just have faith. Yes, we are encouraged to have faith. Indeed, we are commanded to have faith. But it's not the strength of our faith that holds us. It is our faith in the strength of our Savior. He holds us. He holds us in the storm. The disciples forgot that. They forgot that they had the Lord of the storm in the boat with them. They did not realize in that moment when they were in fear of being destroyed that the same Savior whom they had seen heal, the same Savior whom they had seen cast out demons, the same Savior whom they had seen feed thousands, they forgot in that moment that this was the same Savior 
who made water, who made lakes, who made clouds, who made the earth, who made storms, who sovereignly reigned over it all. That takes us to the third point, the rebuke of the Lord. The rebuke of the Lord. Jesus, look there at chapter 8, verse 24, second half. And he, Jesus, awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm and he said to them, where is your faith? You know, when it says here that Jesus rebuked the wind and the sea, the Greek word literally means he scolded the storm. He reproved the storm. Jesus arose from the exhaustion of his humanity to exercise the power of his deity. With a word, the agent of creation quelled the fury of the storm, and at his rebuke, it dissipated instantly. You know, and I, I grew up in Central Florida, right? I grew up in Orlando where especially different times of year, just thunderstorms are, are their life, you know? We'd, we'd have thunder and lightning storms almost every afternoon through the summer. And some of those storms would come up quick and they would end just as quickly. But that doesn't even begin to compare to what is described here. I mean, imagine one minute you have six, eight-foot waves crashing over the boat. The boat's filling with water. There's, the storm is in tumult. The seas are, are in chaos. You are literally in fear for your life. Jesus stands up with the word, rebukes the storm, and immediately it's gone. The waves immediately die to nothing. It's not that, you know, it just slowly started to get better. No, it was just immediately peaceful. Within a moment, the Sea of Galilee was almost like glass. That is the power of our God. Psalm 89, O Lord of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. That is the God that we have, brothers and sisters. The last phrase of verse 24 is therefore given to communicate the immediate effectiveness of Christ's work, the utter perfection of his completed act. One moment they're about to be crushed and capsized, in the next the sea was perfectly calm. Jesus showed them why faith in him was a certain and sure foundation. He demonstrated for them the power of his word and he showed them that nothing can compare or contend with the Almighty. Christian, do you live by faith in this truth? Do you understand that even when you are in the greatest tumult of life, that you have a God who is sovereign over everything? Do you understand that no adversity comes into your life that has not first passed through the hand of your loving Heavenly Father? And, and there are going to be times when we question. There are going to be times when we are confused. We are very limited creatures. And certainly we have no purview of the future. It is often very hard for us to discern what God is doing through our trials. 
And because of that difficulty in understanding, and because of the peril we feel in the moment, we can be overcome with fear. But brothers and sisters, let us never be shaken from our foundation. Even Job, who had big questions, even Job, who didn't understand why he was going through such suffering, even Job, who probably pridefully and sinfully wanted to plead his case before God, even Job said in verse 13, or excuse me, chapter 13, verse 15, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Now, brothers and sisters, I, I think about that, and I just, I'm, I'm face to face with the reality again that I'm not that strong. I am not that strong. Are you? Can you say with absolute certainty that if all your children died and that if everything you had was lost and that even if your own health was surrendered, can you say with certainty that that's how you would respond? I want to think I would, but I can't say that with certainty. Do you know what our comfort is when we come to that realization, brothers and sisters? Do you know what our comfort is? It's Christ. It's Christ. I will never be strong enough. Christ will always be strong enough for me. I will never understand perfectly. Christ has full and complete knowledge of the end from the beginning. He has a purpose that can never be thwarted and never fail. I am frail. I am easily full of fear. But Jesus never fears. Jesus is never frail. At his exalted place, he is interceding even now for you. Even if you find yourself at your weakest place, if your faith is in Christ, know that you have a mediator this very moment that is interceding before the throne for you. The truth of the matter is, brothers and sisters, we will never be enough. Christ is always enough. And so rest in Him. Rest in Him. You know, once Jesus rebuked the storm, He turned to rebuke His disciples. And He didn't rebuke them for waking Him up. He rebuked them for letting that fear overtake their faith. He said to them, where is your faith? He was effectively asking them, why did you fail to believe? If we put ourselves into that boat and into that storm, every single one of us would be scared out of our wits as well. It's natural to fear. Fear is useful also when it keeps us from treading into further danger. But the failure of the disciples at this point is not that they feared the storm. Their failure is that in fearing the storm, they forgot who was in the boat with them. Let me say that again. The failure of the disciples at this point was not that they feared the storm. Their failure is that in fearing the storm, they forgot who was in the boat with them. Brothers and sisters, don't forget who's in the boat with you. You have an eternally sufficient, infinitely powerful Lord who if you have believed in Him, He is with you no matter what. It's not that these men were without faith, but their faith was underdeveloped. It was weak and it escaped them when they needed it most. 
It was subject to being overwhelmed by something as eternally insignificant as a storm. These men had seen Jesus heal hundreds of people of their diseases. They had seen him, his authority to cast out unclean spirits. They had witnessed him heal a man he had never even seen with a single word. But when they found themselves in the midst of the storm, they forgot that Jesus was all-powerful, that he could help them. And they forgot that Jesus was compassionate, that he would help them. Remember that, brothers and sisters. It's not that Jesus only can help you. Just that he is a compassionate Savior who will help you. Faith is not simply a passive acceptance of, acceptance of certain truths. It's not just a weak resignation that just believes. Faith, as we see it in the Gospels, is a courageous confidence that Jesus is equal to the occasion. That's what faith is. Faith is a courageous confidence that Jesus is equal to the occasion. We are not equal to the occasion, but Jesus is. We have the absolute assurance that he is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-presence, that he is good, that he is in control of every circumstance, even when they seem out of control to us. It is that confidence that Jesus gives us, brothers and sisters. 1 Peter 1, 5-9 We are those who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice in Him with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. May we look to and depend upon Christ in this way. That takes us to my fourth and final point this morning. The question of the men. Look at the second half of verse 25. And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. The men marveled at him. They were left in awe of him. They were struck with wonder. And as a result of this, their picture of who Christ was had just had a significant upgrade. It had just been significantly changed and altered. Upon being confronted with the possibility of their own death and the raw power of his word... They could only gasp in wonder at the person of Christ. Go back to their question. Who then is this? Who is it, brothers and sisters? If you keep seeking the answer to that question, you come to one very simple conclusion. Is Jesus merely a teacher? No. He's far more than a teacher far more than someone that just came to show us a good moral way. Is he merely a prophet? No. Far more than a prophet, although he is a herald of truth. Is Jesus, you know, maybe just a, 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 a man of, of God-like quality, but maybe not God himself? No. Scripture doesn't allow us to make that leap either. 
the answer to the disciples' question is very clear. He is God. All of creation submits to his sovereign hand. Nothing, not the fury of a storm, not the obstinance of a demon, not the hunger of thousands of people, nothing is a barrier to Christ. He holds power over all. He conquers all. He supplies all. He commands all. Because He is God. Dear child, if you are trusting in and resting in Jesus Christ, you need never fear. Your faith will not be sufficient, but Christ will always be sufficient. Rest in Him. Don't forget who's in the boat with you when those storms of life come. However, if you are within the sound of my voice this morning and you are without Christ, I would warn you that you stand in danger of the very fury of God and His wrath being poured out on you. The Bible makes it very clear that there are only two types of people in this world. There are those who look to Him and trust in Him, who trust in who Christ is and what He alone has done to save us through His sacrifice on the cross and the resurrection from the grave. And the Bible also makes it very clear that faith in Him is the only way of salvation. If you are depending upon your good choices, your good life, if you somehow think that when you stand before the judge of the universe, you're going to be able to plead your case on the evidence of what your life has looked like, I want you to understand you are deceived. The only ones who will escape condemnation on that day of judgment are those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, I bid you this very moment, flee from the life you think you've established yourself. Flee from hope in yourself. Flee from the wrath to come and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. As it says in Acts 4.12, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. May we trust in, rest in.